Welcome to the Educational Physics Podcast. I am your host, João Figueiredo. This podcast is all about education, pedagogy, mindset, and uh, really any other nonsense that I think about during the week. Enjoy. Today's podcast is a conversation with Kaylee Rose. Kaylee Rose is a therapist based in New Jersey. Uh, in the United States, and the focus of our conversation was almost exclusively on trauma and what trauma is, how it develops, and how it affects people in so many different ways. Uh, Obviously, because of my own biases, I pulled the conversation towards the impact of trauma on education, But of course, the meta needs of humans when it comes to learning in a general sense, learning how to cope, learning how to cooperate with each other, learning how to thrive and live a fulfilled life, all of that is impacted by trauma. Kaylee was a fantastic guest. I really enjoyed my time with her. Our conversation flowed incredibly smoothly, and I very much look forward to speaking to her again. I hope you enjoy. Awesome. So, first of all, thank you for doing this. Um, I know that we don't really know each other. The only thing that, uh, and that's absolutely fine, I'm going to ask about your backstory, but I'll tell you why I I sent you that, that message. Um, so I started following you on, on Instagram and for me personally, it's always very refreshing when I see people speaking a bit more honestly and openly about the way that the, the mind works and the way we work as humans, uh, what, what is real about human nature. I'm very, um, interested in understanding how you landed there in the first place, because we know that there's um, a bit of a trend for blind positivity nowadays and we're mm. losing a bit losing touch with what pain is where it comes from how to deal with it we kind of uh, live in a culture of brushing it off and post your best picture on Instagram right absolutely so, yeah uh, so that was that's why I messaged you because I saw that your content was so open and so honest, including about yourself, which I personally try to, to do the same. Uh, I've never been a big fan of just posting my highlights. But, um, and I'll tell you in a second what my, I guess, broader topic for today's conversation is. But, um, but would, you, would you mind sharing your backstory, how you... Uh, how the interest for psychology and how you became a therapist. So the floor is yours. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I started, uh, I mean, I've always been sort of interested in like existential questions and that's just sort of kind of my personality type is to be very curious. Um, I started out career wise um, in music education. I went to a conservatory and sang and, um, it was just a very high pressure situation. Um, the school was called Westminster and we called it Stressminster. <laughs> right. And so, 
Um, I, uh, I just became fast. I happened to do yoga teacher training at the same time as being in this high pressure school situation. And so I became very fascinated with well-being and wellness, um, and intersection of like well-being and spirituality and meaning and how we make meaning of our lives as humans, um, as an artist and just as a person. And, um, I became very sort of turned off by that, you know, conservatory mentality, um, that it was sort of just like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be the best and perfectionism. And, um, it didn't feel, um, like it actually honored the art that we were all trying to create at the end of the day. And so I moved away from that and I ended up getting really into the wellness, um, uh, world through yoga. And, you know, I worked at a yoga clothing store and I sold stretchy pants to rich people and, (laughs) you know, drank the Kool-Aid there. And it was, you know, very much like corporate wellness, uh, Mm. Uh, personal responsibility and positivity and take accountability for yourself. But really it's just a way to get your employees to work really hard for like $14 an hour. And, (laughs) and as I got deeper into that, um, you know, I sort of went through a bit of an awakening, realizing how these spiritual ideas can be used to, um, you know, manipulate people that toxic positivity that you were talking about. And then I decided to go into um, mental health, uh, evidence-based mental health, and sort of like dive into more of the science and go get my master's degree and build sort of a platform for myself that would be a little more grounded. Um, And so now I find myself in this space of, um, you know, having a deep sense of spirituality myself, but having seen sort of like the shadow side of the wellness industry firsthand. Mm -hmm. And I try, and it's so great and, you know, lovely to hear that your feedback about my uh, Instagram, because I do try really hard to be really authentic and honor all parts of being human when I communicate about some of these ideas, um, because I think that's what's missing in that, you know, wellness space. Um, and so that's how I find myself where I'm at. You know, I do still really value that integrative wellness model of, you know, using all these different practices to heal, but um, hopefully in a more balanced way that honors, um, you know, how complicated that actually is. Yeah. Well, you already gave me a lot of threads to pull from because I didn't know that you had a background in, in music because I, I run a music school. And I that's saw that, that. right. That's that's my backstory. I started as a as a musician, as a professional musician, touring, doing the, the whole thing, and then started teaching. Like anyone else starts teaching when they are a musician, because you know you need some side money. <laughs> right. Uh, th- there's more to that, but 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 I did start teaching as as a way to stay busy, also during the day. Because I started teaching young, so it, to be honest, like my money wasn't really a pressure yet. Mm. Um, but that was like where I come from as well, and I saw my, my 
my pet peeve was with education in itself. So because I come from a family of educators, nothing to do with music. So that was the, the connecting tissue between all my relatives was that every, every anyone and everyone rather taught something. Mm. Right? It was whatever their expertise was, they would teach it. And, and I had such, we generally as a family, we had such a, a general discomfort when it came to how the system worked. It was very, and we all know it's still a problem, if not worse, um, diluted, uh, designed for the masses. We're trying to um, train more than educate, more than facilitate, which is training the next generation of laborers and, 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 and the workforce. It's, it's bad. <laughs> and, and I started seeing that including in music. So that was when in music education, when I started to get exposed to more, uh, I guess, grades and results oriented sort of uh, institutions. And that for me, my big awakening was, was in 2012 when I was literally told as a teacher, as a music teacher working for, for a company that it didn't really matter if they knew anything as long as I signed them up for exams. Oh, because, <laughs> because there's a financial um, right uh, yes, benefit to the right. when it comes to... And that was very difficult. Very difficult to, to endure. That, that whole process was very uh, traumatic, which is going to get us into the conversation of today. <laughs> but... Um, and, and, and then over the years, I started to feel more and more curious, like you said earlier, about the way people learn. That was my, my entry point. How do we learn? And I started studying general, you know, the, the neuroscience of learning and absorbing information. And then I started reading more on philosophy. Uh, and you already brought up words that I part of my daily vocabulary such as meaning uh, for me to create that that experience of not just finding but assigning meaning to to a certain feeling or emotion or, or process that we're going through that could be as you know which i didn't know you know but you know um learning a music piece can be so frustrating and yet yeah. Um, that frustration is the trigger to elevate the learning experience, which is very interesting. And, and, but the educational system doesn't promote that. Doesn't promote that from the, what I mean is that it doesn't allow for that frustration. It doesn't allow right. space. It's too, it just, yeah, I was literally just about to say that word. <laughs> just, I keep going. It, just keep right. going. Just keep going. Right? It, keep going. We, we've got grades to get to. Results, rankings, and I don't know what the reality is in the, in the States, to, to be honest, but I know, and you can share that um, if you want, but here, the public and the private sector, uh, in my opinion, is creating the, the next generation of people with no meaning, with no notion of meaning and purpose. Um, yeah, it's especially all about the, the results. Yeah, and the structure here is very, it's different than what I experienced in Portugal, although 
in terms of curriculum, we have the same problems. It's very diluted. It's very um, standardized not, with not a lot of space for creativity. But here, here it gets even worse. And I'm very open about this. This is not some sort of coming out of the closet. <laughs> I despise the way the system works in the UK. And I have a child in the, in the educational system here. So this is a very, it's very close to my heart. And it's a major concern on a day-to-day -day basis because the schools themselves are ranked. And, the, and that ranking is public. So what does that mean? They, they, those kids are employees as far as, as far as these schools are concerned. And they wow. must work for the ranking. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. So they're working for the school rather than the school working for them. That's got to bring up a lot of issues of self-worth and performance and perfectionism. It, yeah. And oh, yeah. And, wow. and the... The, the, my biggest concern really is what kind of psychological impact we, we're causing, like you just said, on, on these children from the standpoint of especially the how people learn. Everyone learns differently and that's not allowed. We're running, we're running a program here. So you have to follow along. So I guess I'll... I'll all of that will lead into my first question. I already brought up that I have nowadays more and more concerns when it comes to trauma. And yes, I explore that topic a lot, including in this podcast, as, as to how that affects learning um, negatively for the most part, positively when integrated correctly. Um, how would you define trauma? Mm, big question. <laughs> um, simply put, I would define trauma as any experience that's too overwhelming, too much, too fast, um, overwhelms the nervous system and um, sort of imprints itself in the body and mind um, because of um, the overwhelming nature of the experience in combination with, you know, um, no relief or a feeling of helplessness, um, like a trapped um, feeling for that person. And, and that can be mitigated by, you know, resiliency and support and, you know, all kinds of environmental factors, biological factors, but um, it, it's very individualized. If your nervous system is experiencing too much too fast then whatever it is experiencing can be traumatic yes yes um i think I, I i would define trauma the same way um i think that it's also interesting to for us to think here together on the impact of slow trauma because mm. often it's it's obvious we can see fast trauma, we, right. and I, I discussed that just for those who who've been listening to the podcast. I, I talked about those two in the last episode, where I discussed um, yeah that we, it, society, broadly speaking, can understands easily what fast trauma is caused by, you know, a car mm -hmm. crash, uh, you know relative that dies suddenly and unexpectedly. Um, 
some so I, I I even shared a, a personal story of you know of uh, being a victim of of um, of robbery and it was quite violent and it was quite brutal and it was very quick right as it goes with those situations and it lasted a long time but then we had the effects that is and then we have also the the trauma caused by bad parenting or um, a system, an environment that slowly but surely creates the, these narratives that we hold on to for a long time. How how do you do you see the, the, that in today's society? Do you, how do you, especially, and, and I apologize if I pull that that thread a lot, especially for children. Yeah, I love. I like how you um, differentiated it by calling it fast and slow trauma. That's, um, I haven't heard anyone use those terms, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I sort of think of it as cumulative trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, um, is really important and not understood or spoken about as much as like that very shocking fast trauma. Um, and I, I think of it, yeah, as, um, as sort of like many, many small moments built up upon each other. Um, so if you think about it, I think about it sort of like a cup that might be being filled like one drop at a time until it's overflowing um, with whatever that um, trauma is causing. And like you said, it can definitely, it can be anything from, you know, um, just emotional neglect as a child, not being seen, not being heard, not feeling understood, um, to, uh, you know, living in an unsafe neighborhood and walking mm -hmm. home from school every day and not feeling safe. Um, you know, it could be, um, you know, being affected by diet culture and, um, you know, body image issues over your, all of your teenage years and, and then developing, you know, an eating disorder because of that. And um, there's so many different ways that society and culture sends us these little messages in like this, it, this like intrinsic learning where we're just um, consuming messages from our family, our teachers, our communities, the media, and that seeps into our self-worth and how we see ourselves. And over time, that can absolutely become a trauma. Um, shapes how we can see ourselves in the world and then that may result in not feeling safe in it yeah yeah um what in your experience what, what how do you see trauma manifesting itself um in 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 adults for all for all that matters but um because i work more with i also work with adults but more with children um and my my career is taking me down this path of educational psychology so i'm working within schools as well um how do you see that manifesting itself say 20 years down the line mm. in your practice uh i mean in so many ways in how we relate to one another, our, the health of our relationships, um, our self-worth, how we, how we view ourselves, our self-awareness. Um, a lot of people who um, 
have a real lack of sense of self-worth are so um, afraid of the shame that they feel when they really self-reflect that they will avoid it at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so we have people walking through the world, largely unconscious, not self-reflecting, not able to um, put themselves in other people's shoes or look at things from other perspectives because it feels so threatening and unsafe. Um, that, you know, we have a bunch of adults just reacting to each other, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, go on. Oh, that's okay. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, there's sort of a, um, the idea that everything is, is trauma right now. Like I'm Mm. seeing a lot of conversations that, um, that people are conceptualizing that all mental health issues are rooted in trauma and we don't have a ton of research to back that up at this point trauma research is like relatively new at least this type of slow trauma that we're talking about in within the field in general but i Mm -hmm. think it's a really interesting concept and idea that um you know most of our struggles are can be related to not having our needs met at some point yeah, I mean, for me, it's both. I mean, it's pretty clear to me from what I, the data that I've, I've empirically and merely from the standpoint of watching um, now thousands of children reacting to the same problems, give or take, that I bring upon them, right? So we have challenges to overcome. And obviously, uh, as you know, we start to identify certain patterns and then it starts to become um, pretty clear that um, people react a certain way to a certain problem due to how they conceptualize the whole world. So giving you an, a very simple example, which will resonate with you as well, since you shared your... your um, how do I put it? Your annoyance with the way the music academia, because mm. you, you, you mentioned that at the beginning, the way it uh, can be so rigid and it's all about um, following the score, for example, which you mentioned mm-hmm. conservatories are infamous for, for just, it's the score, it's all about the score. You right. don't really get to have a voice as you perform this. But as I, I, I expose a student, for example, to a problem, to solve, that being a passage of a song or an exercise, doesn't matter. One student can look at that problem as a, um, a challenge and they are motivated by the, the idea of the outcome and they can see it coming. It, it, even Some of them, quite interestingly, without even me personally showing them, okay, this is what's going to go sound like once you practice lots. Sometimes I don't even have to do that. They envision that they have a really good uh, motivational compass. They can mm-hmm. see like, okay, challenge means reward. It's re- well into, uh, integrated in their system, and you know th- that would be a good example of some of someone who's clearly being raised to understand that it's all it's all a game. You know, as long as we understand the, the rules of this, it's gonna, the struggle is going to pay off. And then you have other students 
on on the complete other side of the spectrum that is scary at times and overwhelming from for myself how the the the, the most minuscule I mean, I, I would even say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that way. The, the most minuscule amount of negative feedback, you witness a complete meltdown of all belief systems. Right. And, and, it, 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 and it's so fast and so visual, so reactive. You say, you know, something as harmless at face value as... Uh, so we're rushing a bit there during that section. Let's try that from the beginning a little slower. And the reaction is, I'm done. Because I'm not accepting this. Mm. And mm -hmm. it, it doesn't even register in their system as what was said is what it was said. But what goes in, as you know, is a translation. And it translates to, I'm not good enough. Right. And, and Yeah. And when you start to dig into... What, what's causing this, you, what you find is, it's interesting because then it kind of, um, there, there's a bit of, it, it splits into two different um, sources. So, of course, one being, you know, they have really punishing parents and they're really tough on them. So anything that smells of, of negative feedback just, you know, turns off the, the alarms and it's, oh, I'm going to get punished or criticized, mocked, whatever. But funny enough, there's, always a, there's also a, another angle, which is children who are raised to believe that they can do no wrong. So actually they lack resilience, which goes back to the beginning of this toxic positivity. Mm. They, can't, they can't do anything wrong. So when actually reality hits them in the face, like, yeah, you can, and that's okay. They can't understand it. You can see that it's hitting a blank spot. Do, do, you, do you have any strategies from the standpoint of, of therapy as to how you would help someone cope with, with, with that side of things, specifically of not having the ability to cope or to even process that a mistake is not a failure necessarily? Oh. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a really like interesting uh, dynamic comparing those two uh, scenarios. Yeah. I'm thinking about um, thinking about scaffolding and how um, setting up that situation, like breaking it down into like very small steps very intentionally could be helpful um so like the communication ar around like preparing that person before giving the feedback and like you know i think mm -hmm. we have to sort of at that point and this is just my first reaction is to explicitly teach resilience through um you know like intentional intentionally uh, giving that feedback in like sort of a framed scaffolded way where the person is like prepared for it and warned that it's coming or even asked to find it for themselves. Like, what could you have done better? What are you observing? Um, you know, and, and then the, and then sort of reinforcing 
that the noticing itself is an accomplishment and celebrating a mistake, celebrating noticing a mistake so that it becomes, you know, you're, you're giving positive reinforcement to the process itself. Yes. I mean, in a way, if we, if we go get a bit more nerdy, it's, it's associating dopamine to messing up. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that kind of falls in line with with the the base idea of humanistic education, for example, right? Where 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 you would do exactly that, right? So Carl Rogers was was, was perhaps I'm not sure. Don't take my word for this, but I think he was the one who who, if not coined, definitely used a lot the word scaffolding, right? He he was. A pioneer of that of that concept of um, creating that structure that uh, that really allows then the the whole process of in this case learning because Rogers was focused on the educational side of things although he was a psychologist um, giving everyone a very clear platform for learning and then educators like myself in this case just mere facilitators I'm here if you need me, but this is your gig. Mm -hmm. and, right. uh, and that's very difficult for, for a lot of children. It's, very, it's a very difficult process. They feel very, um, it's not, which is interesting then to see how they evolve into the, and accept the process as they, as they get comfortable with themselves, taking charge and taking ownership of, over their own learning process. But at the at at first, it's um, it's quite interesting to see um, how uncomfortable they feel. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about how they're trained to feel that discomfort yeah. from our from the sis our educational systems. Um, you know, don't write your name on the paper until I tell you to write your name on the paper. Don't skip ahead. Don't do it your own way because then you're going to be in trouble because you did it wrong. You know, there it's, it's very, it's so methodical that um, there's no space for, you know, figuring it out yourself. There's no time. There's no space. There's no, um, that that's not a part of their experience. And I'm even thinking about at home, you know, when parents can be, and you know, there's every type of parent out there. So this is not, this is just a generalization, obviously, but I'm thinking about, you know, like uh, authoritarian parenting and parents who will tell their child, you know, how to build a snowman, you know, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, like it's no surprise to me that, you know, they land themselves in a creative um, learning environment, like with music, with a teacher who's, taking that humanistic approach and it's like whoa I don't know you know th this is too much gray area I'm not I'm not used to this yeah that's exactly right that's exactly like it just feels so like, like there's so many options which of course then the facilitator in this case myself in this scenario would then create some sort of again it's the scaffolding idea right? would create some sort of okay let's create one boundary over here one boundary over there you think we can bounce about now a little bit <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> and, right. and just you know you know where the walls are so when you hit them you'll feel them it's it's all good um and i also i bring the, these these all these concepts 
into the way I I parent as well. Um, as I I believe, and I've I've believed this ever since my 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 son was born is that there's so much more to to children than what people want to believe and it's very interesting and we can talk about the the what happens to our inner child and why we dislike that that character so much um as we as we grow up it's it's so interesting how as we grow older we we become conditioned to to look at who as in through other children or our children how we start looking at who we once were as completely incapable human beings and you guys don't know anything like did you really think of yourself like that i don't think so i, I think you wanted independence back then so what's going on here um there's a huge disconnect <laughs> right what what do you think causes that that conflict with our inner child you mean um like our the conflict of how we see children as adults yes but in my opinion that's got to do with the way we see the child we, we still have inside of us and we don't want that person around too much it's too uh -huh. we, we see it as weak and too vulnerable and and i i this is my it's a theory i think and now I'm going into the, the the realm of philosophy. Really, this is no. There's no science here whatsoever. I'm with you. Let's go. <laughs> um, I think a lot of this, not dislike, but but disrespect for the the ability that a child has to not only just figure things out, but but to really carry um, a natural wisdom with them. Mm -hmm. That um, dismissal that most grown-ups have towards that sort of, um, I guess, less organized way of, of perceiving or seeing or experiencing emotions for, for us, quote-unquote us, I, don't, I hope that I'm not a victim of that, of that trap, but for most adults that is not only uncomfortable, to, to see children, like, why does a child throw a tantrum? Ah, you're just being annoying to me. <laughs> I think you're just projecting, not, not, not you, right? But I think that person is just projecting how annoying it is, the amount of tantrums they throw inside. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking about, like, um, I'm thinking about the, our cultural stories around um child inner the inner child the playfulness the joyfulness the vulnerability the feelings that you know like maybe and i'm not like a historian so you know i'm kind of pulling this out of thin air but i think like maybe around like the enlightenment there was this move towards um like rationality and rational thinking and that became like the big like cool thing of mm -hmm. the time and i think that shaped a lot of like philosophy and a lot of how we think in the west at least about like what we value and we have this narrative that i think is total bullshit um that um you know rationality and rational thought and that inner adult part of us is more valuable than the emotional wild vulnerable yeah. side and i i think it's just like a cultural a cultural norm 
Um, and so we miss how much wisdom there really is in that, you know, that wild part of us, that intuitive part of us. Um, we totally discount it because I, and this is just personal opinion, um, not like a psychological fact. I think it's because it's so vulnerable and visceral and, um, and it's, it's like the stuff of being human. It's like that gray area, that, that um, uncertainty, that surrender, that no, you can't just know a, a fact. You can't just know scientifically, you know, something, not everything is black and white. And so playing in allowing that part of ourselves to drive the bus is pretty terrifying for most people uh, because I think we fundamentally lack trust in that um, process. Yeah, I agree. I think most people lack, lack trust, period. It's, it's, it, there's so much pressure to, to grow up fast and, and well-established. We have all these, these preconceived ideas of, of yeah, like you, you have to behave a certain That's way. Fun. You have success mm -hmm. and, and ambition. You must be ambitious. And um, but you must be a certain kind of ambitious, but let's be careful there. Um, okay. humble, get... fake humble, but you know. Yes, yeah. uh, and um, and it's so it's so interesting for me to to see, for instance, when that happens in the child's development, and it's mm -hmm. it's not a random age where that that switch. In this case, I would say turns. Uh, off mm -hmm. when they go from like a gradual process yeah it's it when they enter the education system as soon as that happens that that they just turn off that switch that the, the one we were talking about of of carrying a, a wisdom that they just simply trust they just mm -hmm. my my, my son, own experience the way they see it it, it's the way it must be and I'm going to trust that this is how I'm feeling about the situation uh, and it can be the most innocuous things like um, we're walking uh, on, on a muddy park and uh, there's a big nice uh, muddy puddle there and he jumps right in it he, ju he was so excited up until his socks got all wet and he starts crying all of that was real life to, for him <laughs> this is happening and I'm gonna, not going to hide it uh, mm -hmm. and, then, and then as we start to, to age of course there's something to be said about developing coping mechanisms and, and, and developing perspective as to how much emotion am I going to dispense with here but in, in face of a situation such as well I did jump into the puddle which was the conversation basically that we had by the way well you jumped into the puddle <laughs> and the answer was, I, yeah, exactly. And the, the response was, uh, yeah, I didn't think that could happen. Well, now you know. <laughs> and that's called learning. <laughs> right, right. Well, and there you go. There's like that intrinsic learning and learning by your own experience rather than the sort of um, like pre-prescribed pre type of learning that we think of. Yeah, in academia. 
Yeah, and, and in, in parenting, and the parents, by the way, poor parents were conditioned by this system as well. Right. That they've been rewired. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because the, the same scenario could have happened completely differently. I could have been like, look, there's a puddle there. Don't even get close to that puddle. You're going to get your socks wet. Don't go get your right. socks wet. You're going to find out if you like it. Experiential. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's my style. If it's not going to hurt you, I'm going to let you do it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think oh, there's just so many factors that we get programmed by. Um, so many in different influences all the time. And, um, you know, also so much of that influence can be resiliency. And mm-hmm. like the, I'm just thinking about like the value of you letting him jump in that puddle and ex- have that experience and caring him for him through his emotional experience and being upset about, you know, what had happened and helping him move through those emotions in a safe way, rather than piling on at blame and shame and yeah look what you did it's your fault that you're upset you know like you just helped him you know feel it reflect on it um you know that's the type of learning that's going to build so much resiliency for him as he grows i love it absolutely and and that's the idea i mean um i believe i also spoke about this in that last episode because i introduced this is going to be a series of episodes on the subject of what um things that block learning as you as you as you grow up i guess um and one of the things that i brought up was also the difference between parenting styles that that then i guess create different um mindscapes on these children as to how they react to mistakes. And I talked about that student who just like, no, mistake is not a thing. Shut down. I'm done. Um, but of course, there's also the, the more, I guess, more, more subtle, nuanced ways to damage self-worth. Uh, for example, what you just said, right? That same situation jumps in the puddle, gets all wet, gets upset because I didn't want this to happen. And then the parent comes in like, and, and mocks the child. This, the, I, the amount of times I see this, it, it blows my mind because these parents, and I appreciate that 90%, 95% probably are not doing that because they have some sort of like psychopathic uh, at, <laughs> problem uh, or or miswiring in in, in their systems themselves, it's because they've forgotten, again, they've lost touch with that inner child, they have forgotten how children perceive language Mm. and how they translate that. Because as we are still children, and Jean Piaget was also very focused on this, how, how we everything goes through a filter of how does this make me feel rather than you know more of a what is it is what it is sort of mindset and and very rigid and we've talked about that today already right and children don't do that they they hear a word and that that immediately becomes an emotion anything we say becomes an emotion becomes and it becomes latched onto that emotional map they have 
So when I do this, I feel that. When I do the other, I feel this. And then as they get, grow older, like from age two, especially, they become more aware of when I do this, they feel this. Mm-hmm. Which, that's when it starts to get tricky. The role of the parents and the role of the care t- the caregivers starts to become very, very important, very nuanced, and it's, we have to be very cautious because children become aware of their, 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 their I guess, their, their world, which starts with the family, and they become much more attuned to that idea of when I'm, this is a word I don't use, for example, in parenting, but when I'm naughty, which is a very like traditional thing to say, I, I, I hate that word. Um, when I'm naughty, my 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 dad gets angry. Mm-hmm. Which right. for for the the father could say, I'm not angry. I'm just telling him off. I'm just disciplining him. Yeah, but right. maybe there's ways to go about that because if you're shouting at the child, the child doesn't think like, oh, what a great way to make me rethink my life. <laughs> I just think my dad is angry. Yes, exactly. No, the (laughs) child just thinks my dad is angry. And what I did was an accident. I didn't even want to do it. And that makes me think about intergenerational trauma and that if dad's nervous system is not regulated and the kid jumps in the pedal and then he starts thinking about all the laundry he's going to have to do now and oh we were we were supposed to go run this errand and now we have to go home to change the socks and the overwhelm and now he's in fight or flight mode then you know he uh the kid's nervous system he he is in fight or flight mode already because his socks are wet he needs a calm nervous system in order to calm down. But when he's met with another nervous system that's in fight or flight mode, now we're all just going to have a meltdown together yeah. and it's going to blow up and turn into something you know, traumatic for everybody. And so a lot of parenting has to do with you know, the mindful groundedness of the parent. Yeah. I mean, it's the word, it's attunement. It's finding that... Right that that balance right if 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 you're vibrating at this very kind of um high frequency sort of uh, wavelength there and and the parent the caregiver that being the teacher the parent whoever yeah m- must step in and and provide the balancing wavelength the one that's going right. to bring everything back down to the middle and then we can navigate okay if if and there will be situations um that yes you're going to have to have that serious conversation with a child where you're going to have to sit down and and what the the child also doesn't know and i have actually these conversations with my son where i open up my book i tell him like i think it's fair for you to know what i'm feeling right now which is i don't really want to have this conversation i'm not taking any pleasure from this because it, it's sometimes like it's that idea that, you know, my parents are after me. Oh, my God, they can't. I'm very open. Oh, I don't want to have this conversation. So we need to find tools so we can avoid it at all costs. <laughs> right. Being, um, you know, leading by example and sharing your own experiences. And really he tells important. me. And he tells me, okay, so I, I could do this. I could do that. He tells me. I don't have. And that's the wisdom that we forget they have. 
they know how to do problem solving. Mm -hmm. All they need to, to, to do, and I'm a big believer in this, is to be asked the right questions. Yes. Instead of constantly being told, think this, do that. Right? We need a lot more curiosity just as like a species, as a culture, as a society. Curiosity would change a lot, mm -hmm. I think. I agree. Um, so I guess um, I want to ask you before, before we, we share our final thoughts, I guess, if you had, and this is a very, very metaphysical question, if okay. you had full power over the world for a day, you know, okay. magic, magic wand question, okay. and, you, and you could just do one thing that would, uh, I guess, change the world for, for the better, what would that be? Oh, I don't want that kind of power. But yes, I, I was. I, I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to be summoning the narcissist in you, but right. <laughs> uh, I think that what I might do is download mindfulness skills into the minds of all of humanity, because I think when we have the skills to sit with ourselves. Um, more fully, then we can relate to ourselves much more effectively, relate to others. And then, you know, I think part of the power of humans is connection. And um, some of, and one of the things that I think that I see mostly get in the way of that is shame and uh, lack of self-compassion. And I think mindful self-awareness is a path towards those um those attributes so yeah i would download those skills into everyone's brain with my magic wand <laughs> i like that i'm a big fan of, of mindfulness self-awareness uh, is a, is a, is a process that, that's another word that's become very buzzworthy <laughs> yeah and, and sometimes it, it gets me and i i get I feel myself, I, I guess I become aware of myself feeling frustrated <laughs> because it, it's become so, so diluted in the, in the, the popular, mm. you know, I guess, um, dialogue that it, it lost, it, it has lost a bit of its meaning um, as it being a process of constantly right. being able to, you know, hear yourself think talk, understand like what triggers a sequence of events that then leads to that, uh, you know, you just flip out over something and then you, get, you have to sort of reverse engineer it, like where, where did that start? Because if I was right. just chilling, having my coffee and then five minutes later I'm, I'm, I'm having a fit and I'm shouting and I'm, it came from somewhere and, and, and that, that's, that self-awareness and that mindfulness or that ability to just practice um, stillness, I guess that would be my, my magic one. I'm going to try to come up with a different one for every single episode because if I ask that, I, I kind of feel compelled to also share what mine would be, but I can't always share the same one because otherwise, what's the point? I would say today I'm going to go with stillness. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a it's an experience it's not a destination and when we i think we what you said we have lost the um a bit of the meaning of it and i think in order to really get back to its true value people have to experience it rather than just talk about it yes yes it's going back i think every, all the notes we've hit today uh, brings us back to to the classics and you even mentioned enlightenment which i'm not um well, i'm also not a, an historian but i would say that we've lost a lot of what we had in the classics in the the, the, the philosophy classics um what and i'm gonna i guess this is the the last question for you what advice would you give to um in this case educators when it comes to recognize how to recognize and then deal with trauma mm. um i guess uh i guess what i would say is um like unhelpful behavior patterns um you know the things that we think of as acting out um are really just children trying to get their needs met mm -hmm. and so it can be helpful for us to notice our own judgments and our own reactions and our own you know frustrations in those in those moments and bring um, a sense of open curiosity to what is this child needing in this moment? And they probably won't be able to tell you in words. And so they're telling you in behavior and mm -hmm. it's our job to figure out what that message is. Um, and, and also to acknowledge that your job is really, really hard and that you also deserve support and, um, you know, care. And so are you getting that? Are you caring for yourself as well in the process of this like huge responsibility that you have? Yeah. So mindfulness and self-care. I think that's the... Back to basics. The two. Back to <laughs> basics. Well, I, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, just before we go, I'd like to, to tell everyone where, where they can find you. So I've got... Kaylee Rose Therapy on Instagram. That's also your website, kayleerosetherapy.com. Anywhere else you'd like people to, to go and find you? That's mostly where I hang out these days. And, you know, I, I, I'm definitely addicted to Instagram through this pandemic. So you can find me there <laughs> most days. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I'll just say it again. Kaylee Rose Therapy on Instagram and kayleerosetherapy.com. Uh, Thank any, you so much. My pleasure. Any, any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the world? Uh, mm, this is a hard time. Remember that we're all surviving a crisis. So slow and steady. Lots of uh, gentleness. Slow and steady. Yeah. I second that. <laughs> still, even if you can, still. Yes, stillness. Thank you for the lovely uh, conversation. It was so great. Appreciate My pleasure. It. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye bye.